Father, we are so thankful to be here this morning. God, we are so thankful that we have something to celebrate, that our God is risen from the dead. Lord, I pray that we would bask in that this morning, the truth that you are alive. We do not worship an image. We do not worship a dead guy. We worship a risen King, Savior, Lord, Jesus. And this morning, we esteem you. I think about Isaiah 53. We looked at this past Friday night on Good Friday service, and we saw that they esteemed you not. Lord, we esteem you this morning because you are alive and well. God, we want to express our gratitude to you for what you have done for us, that you walked in our shoes. You didn't have to do that. You could be totally separate from this pain that we feel living in this this broken, fallen humanity. But you came. You were tempted in every way that we are, but you are without sin. You wept with us. You care for us. You displayed love for us, and ultimately you died for us. You are victorious. We're so thankful, Lord. We commit our time to you. I pray that you would do with it exactly what you wish, that your scripture as it says about itself, would not return void, but it would go forth to do and accomplish exactly what you want it to do in our lives. Whether it be encouragement or challenge or redirection, recalibration, do what you need to do in our lives, Father. We invite you in this place, Holy Spirit, to move in our lives. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Luke 24. If you have a Bible, you can go to Luke 24. We also have Bibles in the seats provided uh, for you. If you don't have a Bible at home, just take that one home. It's our gift to you. I had somebody once say, I don't feel right about taking a Bible from church. Listen, you're not taking it. We are giving it to you. So if you don't have one, bring it home and uh, break that bad boy in. We'd be really glad for you to do that. We also have scripture on the screen for you. But Luke 24, 13 through 35, if you need to use the table of content, there is uh, absolutely no shame in doing that. Luke 24, it's page 756 in those Bibles. While you're turning there, let's reflect back uh, about a decade now. It's almost been a decade. Those long, late September nights of 2004, I was a newly married man, and my new wife was asleep in her bedroom because she didn't really care about what I cared about in September of 2004, and that was if the Red Sox could reverse the curse of the Bambino. You remember that? Oh, man. We did everything we could to reverse the curse. You remember their triumphal entry into the playoffs only because of a wild card? I mean, this was, this was just from above. It was amazing. We were so excited about that. We'll never forget that we had all these great expectations that they were going to do amazing things. They were going to kill it. It was going to be the year. But do you remember the, the loss of hope when we were down three games to the Yankees, of all people. We were down three games to the Yankees, and it just felt like it was over. We were done. And I, I remember personally avoiding Yankee fans at all. I mean, I was in hiding at that point for all the Yankees fans uh, that I knew. And we just felt like it was, it was over. It was embarrassing. But then, one game after the other, after the other, after the other, we came back, and we reversed the curse of the Bambino, we beat the Yankees. We won the World Series. That was, even, that was cake over the Cardinals. It was just an amazing, celebrative time for us as Red Sox fans. And uh, last Sunday, as a church, we looked at Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. 
Palm Sunday. It was the end of his, his ministry here on earth, and he enters into Jerusalem. People are singing his praises. They're, they're waving palm branches in the air. They're shouting for him, Hosanna, Hosanna. There was this expectation that was huge that Jesus was going to come in. He was going to whip up on Roman oppression, and he was going to be their, their king here uh, in, in Israel. But then you remember the, the disappointment and the hopelessness come Friday night when he died on the cross, Rome's uh, brutal execution tool that they had carefully crafted to make it terrible and painful, worse than the electric chair, the gas chamber. It was torturous, and, and for them, it was just this terrible time. It felt like it was all over, and, and Jesus' followers went into hiding, much like uh, Red Sox fans hiding from the Yankees fans at all costs, and they were distraught and humiliated and confused. Listen, if you were that much about the Red Sox, we need counseling, and so talk to me, and I'll hook you up afterwards. But listen, seriously, um, it was a tough time for these people, as you can imagine. They walked with Jesus. They had great expectations about this Jesus, and they went into hiding, but then he comes back to life, and he is victorious over Satan, sin, and death as we have been singing. And they begin to see him, appearance after appearance after appearance. And it begins to click for them. He wasn't here to whip up on Roman oppression. He was here for something much greater. He was here to whip up on sin and on death, which plagues us all. He was here to restore the brokenness of humanity. Have you felt it, the brokenness of this world? Do you see it? He's here to bring about redemption and restoration. And so now... Jesus' disciples, they can have their heads held high, not in shame. And today, we can enter into this place, and we can leave this place, and we can live our lives with our heads held high because he is victorious. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm sure glad that I'm not Jesus. Because here's the deal. If I were Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, I would go and find those religious leaders who nailed me to the cross I would go find those people who were mocking me while hanging on the cross and said, if you're God, hop on off the cross. He didn't hop off the cross because he had some work to do. But they were mocking him and taunting him. If I were Jesus, I would have gone back and said, what's up? What's up? Look at me now. I'm alive. You said it. Here I am. I mean, after the, after the Red Sox came back, I remember that night. It was the wee hours of the night, and we had just come back. I was, I was on my phone texting every Yankees fan that I know, just telling them, just, just trash talking. I mean, I'm a really good trash talker. I'm a preacher, right? And so talking is kind of what I do. So translate that into trash talking without the Holy Spirit guiding me. It was amazing. I mean, I'm really good. If, if, if it were for trash talking, I would have made the basketball team in seventh grade, but uh, they didn't count that into the equation, so I'm not on the basketball team. But it's a, it's a good thing that I'm not Jesus. Here's what happens. For 40 days after Jesus resurrects, he appears to his people and for those who are struggling with their doubt. It's amazing to me that he doesn't go to the skeptics. He doesn't go to the religious leaders. He doesn't go to the government officials to to rub it in. Instead, who does Jesus go to during those 40 days? He goes to his disciples and those people who are struggling with doubt, and he began to comfort them, and he began to articulate to them his plan for their lives. Hey, I'm alive. It is not over, and I am victorious. And now guess what? You can be victorious, and you can live with my spirit inside of you, empowering you to change you and and, and to give you life abundantly on earth and life eternally with me. And some of you, maybe you enter into this place and you feel like you've just kind of been left to yourself. You feel like, hey, that's great. Jesus is alive. That's good for him. 
But for me, it's tough and life is hard. The pressure's too thick. Uh, The pain is too real. Loneliness is too strong. Life is not easy. And I can't do it. And, And let me say this. You're right. The Christian life is not about, hey, life gets easy all of a sudden. The Christian life is about the fact that Jesus is with you, and Jesus empowers you, and Jesus gives you strength, and Jesus gives you hope, and Jesus gives you purpose, and Jesus gives you passion and fulfillment and joy. And so you can't do it alone, but you can do it. You can live it in the power of the resurrection that Jesus comes to tell his disciples and is here to tell you today that you can have in him. You can have the power of the resurrection with you. I want to empower you, and I want to change your life. Here's the message of Jesus. It's not, hey, clean up for me. It's, hey, I will come to you, and I will give you my power, and I will change your life. You don't change your life to be made right with Jesus. Jesus changes your life and makes you right based on what he has done for you. He could have gone to anyone, and he could have said anything, but instead of trash-talking, he goes to his people. He goes to the doubters who do love him but are struggling with hope. And he appears to them and he he lifts their heads. And I'm praying this morning, I've been praying for quite a while, that this morning he would lift your head and say, get your face out of the ground. I'm alive. And you you have hope. The resurrected Jesus wants to encourage us. Look at Luke 24. In 13 and 14, we'll, we'll start there. This is the appearance, the first appearance in the book of Luke recorded. And and check this out. This is great. 13, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. Let's stop there for just a minute. It says, on on that very day. So what is that very day? That very day is Resurrection Sunday. And so if we link all the other gospel accounts, the records of the life of Jesus together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if we link them all together, what we can gather is that this is probably midday or or afternoon after the morning when the ladies saw them, as Becky saw uh, or, or read earlier. And so we've got two people now midday or afternoon, they're walking together on this seven-mile road towards this town called Emmaus. They're walking away from Jerusalem, and they're walking to Emmaus. They're walking away from where they last saw Jesus when he was alive and then when he was hung on the cross, and they're walking towards Emmaus. And it tells us a lot. There's a good chance they were in Jerusalem for the Passover, They were there for the Jewish holiday, and now they're leaving. And it says they're talking about everything that had happened. And remember, much had happened, right? Much had happened. There's a ton to talk about. On this Passover festival, uh, this guy named Jesus of Nazareth comes into their city, humble and mounted on a donkey. And as he comes in, people are singing his praises, remember, and they're chanting for him, Hosanna, which means save us, save us now. They're saying, you can do it, and we plead with you to do it. Hosanna. And they're, they're, they're expecting much from him. And this humble and mounted on a donkey thing comes out of Zechariah 9.9, which was their, their scriptures, our Old Testament scriptures, the Jewish uh, Tanakh. And, and so when they see that, they know what's happening. The religious leaders especially know exactly what he's doing. He's staging a Zechariah 9.9. He's saying, I am that Messiah coming, humbled and mounted on, on a donkey. And so the religious leaders say, this is it. We're, we're angry. This is the time to end this thing. Game over. We killed him. It's done. And so when it says they, they're talking about some things, they had a lot to talk about. It was a very controversial Passover this year. Read what happens next, though. 15. 
And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you were having with each other as you walked? And they stood still, looking sad. And then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? And so let's stop here for for a minute. So these two people are walking and talking, and then it says, God himself, Jesus himself. I love that, that word to really emphasize. It wasn't just Jesus came alongside of them. Jesus himself, God came to be with these doubting, skeptical, uh, distraught, sad men. And he starts to, to walk with them. And it says that their eyes were supernaturally kept from being able to, to recognize Jesus. Maybe some of you, you can think back on your story of following Jesus and you feel like, my eyes, I, I didn't see Jesus until he supernaturally opened my eyes. And then it was like, what have I been missing, right? And these guys, similar thing, their eyes were kept from recognizing Jesus so that at the proper time, after he really establishes their faith, he opens their eyes, he pulls back the veil, and they can see him, that he is God, that he is their only hope. And what Jesus does then is he, he, he asks them a, a question. And this is something Jesus does frequently. He likes to ask questions that will really set himself up to teach. Maybe you have a teacher who uh, has done that. Some of you in here I know are teachers. Uh, Maybe you as a parent do this with your kid. Thursday night at our connection group, these are our small groups that we have uh, meeting around the city. And at our connection group at my house, we had a bunch of kids and we were stuffing Easter eggs for the egg hunt today. And one of the rules we said to the kids, because it was getting kind of late, we said, kids, you can only have one piece of candy. That's all you can, just one piece of candy tonight. The rest of them are for these other kids and for you on Easter Sunday. And so uh, later in the evening, my wife finds my son in the, in the kitchen, and his right side of his face was just completely swollen with, it seemed like 10 Cadbury eggs stuffed, <laughs> inside, of his, stuffed inside of his mouth. And my wife asked the question to set herself up to, to teach him a lesson. She said, so Isaiah, you've had your one piece of candy? <laughs> and ooh, 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 what you talking about? And so she set herself up to teach him about truth and honesty and obedience. But listen, Jesus does this. He asks these guys a question to set himself up to teach. He says, guys, it looks like you're deep in conversation. What you've been talking about. And, and of course, Jesus knew exactly what they were talking about. Psalm 139 will tell us that, that even before a word is on our tongue, the Lord knows it all together. And so God knows our Thoughts, he knows what they're talking about, but he asked them this question so that he could teach them. And it says that when he asked them the question, they're walking, and then they just stop. And they look really sad, because for all they knew, Jesus was dead. I mean, it was, it was over. And they had a lot of great expectations for him, but now their hope is, is gone. And then we get one of their names. His name is Cleopas. And, and responding to Jesus' question, what are you talking about? Cleopas says, you must be the only person in all of Jerusalem who doesn't know about what has happened over the past few days. Hopefully that will help us to understand that this was a big deal. This wasn't just this little thing that happened. This was everybody knew about what was going on in Jerusalem. That this guy came in to disturb, to disrupt this Passover, to say that he was God, say that he was Messiah, but the leaders put him to trial and crucified him. It was a big deal. You must be the only person, he says to this unrecognized Jesus. Only person who doesn't know what's going on. And so Jesus says, know about what? He's trying to get more out of them. And listen to Cleopas and his travel companion as they share their understanding of what has happened. Look at verse 19 again. And he said to them, what things? 
And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb in the early morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen visions of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it as the women had said, but him they did not see. And so they began to tell Jesus, here's what's happened. It was a big, big Passover weekend. I can't believe you haven't heard about this. And they begin to articulate, and it's clear in this that they didn't fully get Jesus. They said he was a prophet, mighty in word and deed. In other words, he's a prophet, he's a, he's a miracle worker, he's a great teacher. But listen, people like to say Jesus was just a good teacher. Listen, a good teacher doesn't say, I'm God, if he's not. That's a bad teacher. That's a liar. And so he wasn't just a good teacher, as many suggest. He was more than a teacher. He was, he was, a, he was a prophet, but he was more than a prophet. He was a miracle worker, but he was so much more than a miracle worker. He is God who has stepped into this mess, into humanity, and has taken on this life, this flesh, and he's lived perfectly the life that we couldn't live. And because he was perfect, he could be the perfect sacrifice, undeserving of death, but taking on death as our substitution, as our whipping boy, taking our punishment for us being that lamb led to the slaughter or that scapegoat as the Jewish people in their language understood it, to make people right with God, to take on the punishment for their sin. That's what he was, much more than a a teacher, prophet, miracle worker. And so Cleopas and his traveling companion talk to this Jesus who they don't recognize, and they say, "Eh, he he was a prophet, miracle worker, he was a good teacher. And then they go on to tell this person, they say, but he was killed. And they say, we had hoped that he would be the one to save Israel. Again, they're looking for this military, political savior. So ethnocentric and just so all about us. And and, and so short-sighted. What the world needs is not somebody just for Israel. What the world needs is somebody for the whole world to end this mess and to be king, yes, of Israel and over all the entire world, to restore this brokenness that we can see and that we can feel around us. And that's who he is. But they said, we had hoped that he would save Israel, but it's been three days and he's gone. And then this morning, we even got a little bit excited when some ladies went to the tomb and they saw that he wasn't there. And they even came back and said that they saw angels who told him he was alive, as we read about earlier. But some of our people went to the tomb and it's open, but he's not there. And so they're heading home. Their hope is gone. They're done. Verse 17, it says, they're sad. Look at me. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Are you sad this morning like these guys? Maybe you come in here and you're a little bit frustrated. You're a little bit depressed. You're a little bit confused. You're you're lacking hope. You're, You're unsatisfied. You're wandering. Maybe you need your head lifted this morning. Listen, that's exactly what Jesus does for these guys, and that's exactly what Jesus wants to do for you today is he wants to meet you and he wants to lift your head. And at the end of our message this morning, we're going to have one of our ladies uh, come and just share her story about how, how her head has been lifted by Jesus. And she's going to share a little bit about how Jesus met her on her road 
and he began to join her and to, to change her. Now listen to Jesus' response to all of this. Verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So his response to these guys is, foolish ones, slow to believe what the prophets have spoke about this. He's again referring to the Old Testament, to their scriptures, saying, listen, it's all been foretold. You should know. And he says, you are, you're foolish. According to the scriptures, this was supposed to happen, right? Let me just give you an example of, of some scriptures that point to this. It's just amazing. Psalm chapter 22, it's written about a thousand years before uh, Roman crucifixion is even invented. And yet listen to, to David as he describes uh, the crucifixion of Jesus prophetically before crucifixion is even invented, and that is historically verifiable. Psalm 22, 12 through 18, David says, many bulls, of, many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing, they cast lots. You hear this? This is written before the invention of the cross. Things like, Poured out like water, heart like wax, melted within my breast. See, Jesus' heart in a crucifixion would have been punctured so that the fluids come gushing out within him. My tongue sticks to my jaw. Scriptures will tell us that he was so dehydrated that he could barely even speak, and yet he, he gets out, I thirst, and they give him some sour wine. These evildoers surround him. We know that he was nailed to the cross with evildoers on either side of him, real criminals on either side of him. I mean, this stuff is pre-crucifixion. It's, it's amazing. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Verifiable that this was written a thousand years before crucifixion was even invented. And then I can count all my bones. See, the Jews asked Pilate to break the bones of those being crucified, specifically the legs, so that they with their legs being broken, could never push up for air anymore because their legs were broken, so they would suffocate. And they asked him to do that so that they wouldn't be hanging on the cross on the Sabbath. But John records that when they came to Jesus ready to break his legs so that he would die Friday night and not push up and and live and and be hanging on the cross on the Sabbath, they went to him and they didn't have to break his legs because he was already dead. Hence it says, I can count all my bones. You can't fake this stuff. Psalm 22, they... Divide my garments and they cast lots. Scriptures will tell us that that's exactly what happened. They gambled for Jesus' clothes. But listen, in my personal ministry, proofs like these and and other things among many have never really been used in my life to to convince somebody I want to give my life to Jesus. You know what's caused people in my own ministry to, to see people want to give their life to Jesus? It's not me outsmarting them or me debating them. What, what it's been is people seeing his grace, people seeing the love of, of God for them. Ephesians 2.8 will tell us that 
It is for by grace that you are saved. And grace is when you get what you don't deserve. So that's what I've seen has really stirred people's hearts is to say, God would do this for me. I don't deserve that. I sinned against him, yet he, the one who has been offended, is also the only one who can save us and rescue us. It's amazing. It's amazing. Listen to his grace here. Verse 25. Oh, foolish ones, I'm out of here. No, that's not what it says. It doesn't say, oh, foolish ones, see you later, you fools. It says, oh, foolish ones, slow to believe. It was laid out in Scripture for you. Wasn't it necessary this had to happen? Now, here's grace, verse 27. Here's grace. And beginning with Moses, the Jewish Scriptures, and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. That's grace. Not going to the kings and to the chief priests, but going to these guys who were doubting him who should have really should have known better and taking this loving and patient seven-mile walk with them to this village of Emmaus so that he could show them that he is the Lord. We have a loving and gracious and patient Lord. I mean, when these people walked with him on the earth, we know that they did because they knew who the disciples were when they walked with him on the earth over and over and over and over again. He said, I will be killed. And three days later, I will rise. I will be killed. And three days later, I will rise. I mean, come on. When the ladies come to him, to these two guys and say, he's alive. They should say, yep, that's exactly what he said would happen. We've seen him do amazing miracles. We've seen him feed 5,000, make the blind see and the, the, the lame walk. We've seen him do amazing things. Of course he's alive. They should have believed. However, they're going home as if Jesus meant absolutely nothing to them. And he says, oh, foolish ones, see you later. No, he says, foolish ones, let me walk with you and help you out here. I want to help you to understand. I want to help you understand. And he graciously walks with them. And listen, he wants to graciously walk with you. Some of you in here, you're not the kind of person that's just going to quick to believe something. And that's totally fine. Scriptures will say, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. You draw near to him, he wants to show himself to you. Jeremiah will tell us that if you seek me, you will find me. If you search for me with all of your heart, if you really want to know the truth, he says, I will show you the truth. I will convince you. I will lift the veil. I will open your eyes so that you can see. He wants to walk with you. Listen, listen to the conclusion here. 28. 28 of Luke 24. So they drew near to the village which they were going, and he acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. Man, they had some great time with Jesus, and they just didn't want him to go. Stay with us. And so he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Great story here. As they get near to the village, Jesus pretends like he's going to just keep going further and say, No, 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 Come, come here with us. Stay with us. We want more. We want more. And so he has dinner with them. And after having broken the the spiritual bread of the scriptures with them on this seven-mile road, he now breaks the the physical bread with them and he eats with them. 
And kind of like at the institution of the Lord's Supper where we eat the the bread that represents the the body of Jesus on the cross, this point too, the bread representing broken Jesus, it just clicked at that time. And he opens their eyes and they see him for who he is and they recognize him as Jesus and everything clicks for them and then he's gone, he vanishes. He has solidified their faith. He has killed their doubts and he has helped them to believe. You have been with the resurrected Jesus. And I love how they reflect together on what has happened. They say, did not our hearts burn within us as we were walking with him? Hearts were on fire with him. It was so amazing. It was clicking. I understand that this had to happen. This wasn't this one-time event that we kind of elevated to be something more than it was. No, it's this this history, this, this massive span of history that he was preparing for this moment. It makes complete sense now. They get it. And then they run all the way back. Seven miles again, back to Jerusalem to meet the 11 disciples. Remember, there were 12 minus Judas who had betrayed Jesus, and now he has, he has killed himself. And they go to tell him everything that had happened. Give them the account. I'm so encouraged by this appearance of Jesus, this resurrection appearance of Jesus on Sunday. Remember, he could have gone to anybody else, but he went to these guys. And none of this would have happened had Jesus simply said, Guys, you should have believed. You're foolish. You know, Jesus is slow with them and, and loving with them and forgiving with them and gracious with them. And he doesn't want them to walk away from him. He wants to come alongside of them, help them in their unbelief, and change them and bring them back to where they need to go. And Jesus wants to do that for all of us. He wants to come alongside of you. And he wants to change your life and he wants to bring you in, in the right direction. And maybe today you feel like the foolish one. You feel like, man, I should totally have believed this. I was raised in this, some of you. I've, I've heard this before. He's given me second and third and fourth and a hundredth chances. I should have had faith. But maybe that's not where you're at today. You haven't really had a whole lot of faith. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't say, man, get away from me. Are you serious? Don't come to this place today and feel any shame for anything about who you are or where you're at. Feel repentance and turn but don't feel shame he doesn't want to shame you think back to the garden adam and eve when they're naked and now ashamed they realize they're naked and they cover themselves what does he do he doesn't say yeah look at you no he says this he says let me let me give you something to cover you he wants to cover their shame he wants to cover your shame and he does that by jesus prophetically back then what he did is he had animals killed so that they could have not the fig leaves that they covered with themselves but they could have actual real lasting animal skin. Symbolic of he's going to kill his son Jesus to cover our shame as well. And don't be shamed. He doesn't wipe his hands of you and say, you should have known better. No, what he says is, I love you. And I want to walk with you. And I want to give you faith. I want to open your eyes. And as we close today, some of you, you're, you're getting it. Jesus is coming right alongside of you in your journey. You're here because... Jesus is coming right alongside of you. And this is the moment where your road and Jesus' road, they merge. And he wants to grab your hand. He wants to be yours and have you be his. And maybe right now even you're feeling it. Your heart is burning within you. That's called the Holy Spirit working in your heart, working in your life and telling you, I love you. I'm here for you. I'm drawing you back. And maybe right now like these two, your eyes are being opened to the truth that he died for you that you need him to die for you. 
But he's not just a dead guy. He resurrected to life, offering that life for you so that you could have your head lifted and so that you could have hope that though you die, yet you will live, that you can have life abundantly and you can have life eternally. These guys were sad on the road. But then they turn around and go the same road, but this time it's not sad, it's with hope and it's with joy. And I pray that you guys can leave today with hope and with joy that Jesus is alive. Do you believe that? Do you trust in Jesus as Lord? Listen, either I'm an insane, crazy man, or I'm a liar. Or I really believe this with all of my heart. Listen, I believe this with all of my heart. Jesus is alive, and he wants to change your life. Some of you today want to turn to him, and I want to encourage you and help you to do that, to trust in his death and his burial and his resurrection as your hope, as your substitution that Jesus is gracious and loving. And some of you have been walking away from him, and today's the day to walk towards him. So let's take a moment to pray. You guys go ahead and close your eyes. And as we pray, maybe some of you right now, you need Jesus, and you fully recognize that. And you want to give your life to Jesus. And I want to lead you in a prayer to give your life to Jesus. And it is not magic words that if you say this word verbatim, then you're right with God. No, it's really the intention of your heart that you mean this. It's the heart behind the prayer. And if you today want to give your life to Jesus with a genuine heart, become a child of of God because you turn from your sin and you turn to him. You can say this with me and pray this to him and mean it to the Lord. Say, Jesus, I recognize that I need you because I have sinned against you. Today, I want to turn to you. I want to trust in you. Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for me, for resurrecting to life, defeating Satan and sin and death for me. I put my life and my eternity into your hands. God, help me to live a life that honors you. With you as my Lord, that is my intention. Thank you for this gift. In Jesus' name, amen.